We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Thank you for joining us on Oklahoma Family Network's podcast called We Saved You a Seat. Today, we have Lauren Alvarez. She is a certified elementary school counselor, a parent educator, therapist, and current LPC candidate working towards licensure. Lauren loves helping parents and individuals connect to information that will help them navigate life. Today's conversation with Lauren is taken from a training which she hosted with Oklahoma Family Network that focused on effective communication for parents. Thank you for joining us today, and now we'll jump straight into the training with Lauren Alvarez. I have a lot of different hats that I wear, Um, and so I am a, by day, I'm an elementary school counselor, so I work at Jenks Northwest Elementary in Tulsa. Then I also am an LPC candidate, so I'm a therapist um, working towards licensure with Improving Lives Counseling Services. And then I also teach parent, I do like a parenting group and an anger management group with them. I've also taught parenting classes for family and children's services for years and divorce workshops to help families going through divorce. So lots of different things. And, you know, my passion is just getting good information in the hands of families. So I will say that this particular topic comes from a curriculum called Active Parenting Now, plus a few little extra things that I brought in. When I was learning and training to teach the Active Parenting Now curriculum, I this week, too, in in their curriculum that talked about communication and the active listening technique completely transformed my parenting. So I'm the mother of four. Um, I'm kind of knee deep still in it. I have a 12 year old at home and then I have uh, I have 21, 24 and 26 year old sons. And it's so interesting to have conversations with my grown children, you know, just things that they remember. And, you know, back in the day and when I was a kid, I'm like, well, you weren't a kid that long ago. But one of the things that always comes up in their comments or when they're in a particularly nostalgic mood and send me a compliment, which, of course, I save all of those. I will never erase their text messages, um, is they always come back to that communication piece. So what I... And how they felt like I was fair. They felt like I was easy to talk to. They felt like, you know, I had listened to them. What they don't know is that was a skill that I learned because I didn't know how to do that. That was never modeled for me growing up. And then also, even in a lot of the different parenting things that I went to, you know, like the strong-willed child and, you know, how to keep your authority as a parent. And, you know, we all kind of go in with our preconceived ideas about what a parent's supposed to look like and what a parent is supposed to sound like. I had my own. And kind of my idea was that a parent, if, if I were to have like, uh, you know, levels, you know, if I, you know, the parents up here, I'm the authority. I have the experience. I have, you know, more responsibility than you do, child. So you're down here and I'm going to, a lot of times with that mindset, a lot of the conversation and the communication can be very top down. Instead of it being a supportive conversation where they really are feeling validated and listened to, doesn't mean that I'm saying their behavior is okay. But when we're just straight up communicating, if it's this top-down thing, even though I do have wisdom, I do have more experience, I do have more ideas about how to solve problems. When we talk in certain ways, kind of from a top-down way, talk at them instead of with them, we lose that connection. And then all of our wisdom and experience just gets rejected. You don't get me. You don't understand. You know, you're unfair, whatever it might be. So what my sons don't know is I had to learn how to do that. Um, And, you know, through lots of trial and error and practice, and then actually lots and lots of reading and teaching. And so I'll pull in a few other things too, but I feel like a a few of the videos we watched tonight just really, really nail down um, what a different way of talking looks like, totally transform my parenting. And I think the biggest surprise is I expected that um, rebellious pull away when they were teenagers. Cause I know the last person I wanted to talk to about anything was my parents because 
everything in my communication with my parents based on what they had been taught and what was, you know, their way of thinking was very top down. You're going to, because I said so, all those kinds of things. And it was so frustrating as a young budding adult trying to figure out and having my own opinions. And so I just thought my voice would kind of have that same tendency to just pull away. And we didn't. I'm not to say that we like talked about every last detail of their lives. There's plenty of things I don't know. And I'm really okay that I don't know everything. Too much knowledge isn't always a good thing about uh, what our children are up to at all times. But we stayed connected. And the, the common thread was that communication piece. Being able to be really close with my 12-year-old daughter. I'm remarried with my 12-year-old daughter. It's just amazing to me. I never had that kind of relationship with my mom, not because my mom didn't love me, not because my dad didn't love me. They adore us. They didn't know how to communicate and that they were never taught. They just didn't know. So I want to hopefully leave you with some good skills and, and building your understanding about things that get in the way of effective communication and why in the world we're doing this, because that's what we're going to do. Understand different elements that really make communication effective really learn to identify some of those communication blocks and other things that kind of break down that communication and then really introduce you to this active listening technique. Um, and then you'll be able to watch some videos to see that in action. Because here's why we're doing what we're doing. As parents, the only reason we spend all this time, all this money, all this emotional energy, you know, why are we doing what we're doing? Uh, yes, our children are adorable and, and all that, but it's hard. But here's what we're, why we're doing what we're doing. We want to protect and prepare our children and teens to survive and thrive in whatever society they live in. And the way that we can impart those wisdom and values is through some really good, effective communication. Because also, we live in a democratic, high-tech, diverse society with a free market economy. We need to be able to raise thinkers. We need to be able to raise kids who... Uh, aren't just doing everything that's the opposite of what we tell them to do because we're sick. They're sick and tired of our lectures. We're really trying to help them, but that doesn't actually help them because we want to raise kids who can go into their adult lives and also communicate. Literally. I mean, if you were to pull people, what caused the breakdown in a relationship communication? Well, it starts here. What's really been amazing to me though, is to see my two older sons in their own adult relationships um, with their significant others, they're pretty serious um, relationships, and to see how they communicate with them and be like, oh my gosh, I think they learned a, a couple of things at home. So it's it's a beautiful affirming thing, but it is a skill. This doesn't come naturally. Um, for some, it's a little easier based on your temperament, but it doesn't come naturally. It is a skill. And what do our kids need to survive and thrive? They need leadership skills, negotiation, teamwork, goal setting, motivation, reading, writing, math ability. Also, creative thinking and problem solving, communication, listening, and speaking. Effective communication allows for creative thinking and problem solving together. It's not me versus my child. It's us figuring these things out together and having the skills that actually help them figure some things out on their own. Um, that's the really cool piece about this. I don't even have to tell them what to do. My effective communication helps them reflect and think about how they can solve their own problems. It's pretty cool. And it's a skill. Now, all of this kind of boils back to brain development. No matter what class I teach, it always comes back to the brain. When I teach the anger management class, back to the brain. When I teach the um, when I teach the helping the anxious child, it comes back to the brain. It's all in the brain. So the brain develops from back to front. We've got our, our amygdala, our fight or flight part of our brain, trying to keep us alive, trying to keep us safe. We've got our midbrain that stores all of our memories and you know the bonding and the trauma and all that stuff. We've got our all these different parts of the brain. The last part of the brain to develop is this prefrontal cortex. It kind of sits right behind our eyebrows. And that's what some people call the thinking brain, um, the executive center. It's supposed to be like the control panel for our brain. Now, in a child, this control panel is under construction. I mean, and it is beautiful for me to watch as a school counselor when I see that really struggling kindergartner who has behaviors off the charts. And then I see them when they get to second grade and third grade and fourth grade. And with some good communication, some good structure, 
some occasional consequences um, and some brain development, how far they can go. If we have effective communication, we are really contributing to that brain development. So here's what the executive center does. It's the part of the brain that helps you make good decisions. Even when you feel like, you know, exploding, I'm not going to do that because that's going to cause a problem with this and this and that and that. That's the control panel in your brain, getting your brain back online. It's empathy, understanding how our behavior affects others and being able to connect to someone else's feelings. It's considering consequences. Well, if I do this, this might happen. That's under construction. Regulating emotions, the big, huge ups and downs when our kids overreact to everything um, or, you know, have big, huge emotional reactions to something that's not necessarily doesn't really match that big, huge emotional reaction. Um, that's this part of the brain helps control that self-awareness. Like, how loud am I speaking? Where is my body in space? You know, reading other people's cues like, oh, they're having a hard time. They don't they didn't really like that joke. They didn't actually think that was funny. <laughs> we had a kid who, oh, my gosh, he was a hoot. Um, he uh, went to my school. He loved playing chase at recess and he would chase the girls. They hated it. Because he'd run up, smack him and run by and he'd be laughing hysterically. What'd you do at recess? Oh, I played chase. They love it. Nope, they didn't love it. But he couldn't pick up on those cues. That part of the brain was still under construction. And then morality, understanding what's right and what's wrong. To be honest, sometimes at first, children are going to do the right thing just to not get in trouble. And you know what? That's that it is what it is for a while. They learn to grow and develop a moral compass, a sense of, you know, what's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? And if we really have helped develop that moral compass, then they can be making those decisions when we're not there looking over their shoulder. And also remember, a lot of times, times kids learn what the right thing to do is by doing the wrong thing. So all of this boils back to brain development. We as parents, when we're approaching a child's behavior or a child's problem, we're approaching it with a fully developed brain. Our brains don't stop developing. You know, like all the major construction goes through about year 26. Then there's all sorts of fine tuning and growing and, you know, you know, modifying and all those kinds of things. But the big core construction um, is done by the age of 26. So typically we're approaching our child's life uh, problems, things they're experiencing at school or with their friends or, you know, at home or whatever through our fully developed adult brain, which has all sorts of context. They don't have that. They don't automatically get that from a lecture, but effective communication creates thinkers, connects the dots, helps them see, oh, this is how your behavior is affecting somebody else. And it's a beautiful thing where I'm not having to like hammer it into them. I'm communicating it to them. And it's it, but there's effective and ineffective communication. So we'll look at some of those elements. Um, but don't forget, you really do have a massive influence here. Uh, how can you help support and encourage build that relationship? That's one thing I really like about that communication. It really builds a bond. Discipline, setting limits on behavior. That is also a part of parenting. We can't communicate our way out of everything. And then teaching them problem solving skills so they can cope and grow. This is how we can input. Effective communication really makes this piece effective as well. So because if we build those strong relationships, develop their character, learn to communicate persuasively and kind of act as filters, like protect them from a lot of the negative influences out there in the world as much we can, that really helps reduce those risks too. And I think that's what the surprise was for me. I'm not saying that my boys, when they were teenagers, were perfect, but they were good decision makers. I do know that because we talked through a lot of different things. We talked through uncomfortable things because we had the skills to do that. And when they were little, I was communicating this way. And as they got older, I was communicating this way. And as they got older, I was communicating this way. It helped them realize that I could actually be a resource for them, even about some of those trickier topics. And I think probably the thing that's been the most surprising for me is like the conversations I get to have with my 12-year-old daughter. Like, wow. Number one, her brain and her thought processes just blow me away. But she's got a voice. She wants to be heard too. Effective communication isn't just one-sided. 
it's connection. It's two-sided. And to give her a way to share her thoughts and feelings about something, and I can still tweak and correct and influence um, maybe some of the the presumptions or judgments or whatever she's made about a situation, but she's not going to get that if I'm lecturing her. She's not going to get that if I'm talking at her, but she'll, she's willing to listen to me if I'm also show that respect to her as well. So my image of what parental communication actually was definitely has changed because here's what we would like. We would love control, wouldn't we? I would love to be able to control every outcome, keep my children safe in all situations, control their future and making it a bright and happy and meaningful existence. I would love to be able to do that. And it comes from a place of like love and protection. I can't control it. Really, all we have is influence and control having 100% power. It's never going to happen. Things come out of nowhere that we don't expect at all, period. Influence, though. That definitely, that's on a, that's on a continuum. You can have like one person influence or really powerful influence where the connection, our relationship really is, has a powerful impact on shaping their thoughts and morals and lives and, and self-concept and all those things. You have huge influence, but you're not going to increase your influence by increasing your control. Those two actually work against each other. So it's tricky, but it's possible. I promise. Okay. So now there's also some foundational things when it comes to discipline, too, um, when it comes to communication too. this idea of mutual respect for some reason, probably because we were taught to this way, for some reason, we think that a grown-up has to sound bossy. We think that a grown-up has to have this certain tone of voice. Um, if we actually recorded ourselves. Some of us would probably have a real hard time being talked to. If someone talked to us the way we talk to our kids, ooh, that would go all over me. But then why am I talking that way to my kids? I do not lose any authority by being polite. I'm going to be mutually respectful. Um, now, my children, developmentally, they're not automatically respectful. That is a skill that is learned and grown and modeled. And if they want to communicate disrespectfully, effective communication and some limits, some consequences can help grow and develop that. But if we are commanding them, barking orders at them, you know, sarcasm, you know, watching not, you know, you better watch that attitude while we have attitude you know, all these things that we demand of our children, if we're not doing that ourselves, then I will tell you what, you are building frustrated, resentful kids. And that was definitely, I mean, I can speak for myself. It's a sample of one, but I know what it felt like for me as a kid to where even though I deserve to get in trouble a lot of the times, um, the way that they said it, the way they communicated just it just felt so unfair and it's not right and it's root. And, you know, it just stirs up that rebellion. Did that stir up any kind of ability to reflect like, oh, yeah, they're right. I probably shouldn't have done that. Nope. Tone of voice lost all listening ears on that tone of voice. And I knew better than to use that tone of voice with them or I was going to pay. They use that tone of voice with me all the time. But even though I didn't like it, that to me seemed like what a grown-up was supposed to talk like. So let me let you know, you do not lose authority by being polite. You lose authority by giving in. You lose authority by not being consistent, um, but you do not lose authority by being polite. Um, and then this idea of participation. We're gonna talk in a way that invites participation. You know what doesn't invite participation? Do it now. That demands participation. That does not invite participation. Hey, we got to leave in five minutes. You want to wear these shoes or these shoes? Those are ways of talking that invite participation. Even when they're angry, man, I can really see you're angry right now. However, I need you to lower your voice until you can talk in the same tone of voice that I'm talking. I am inviting them to participate, not you better watch your mouth. That doesn't invite participation. That invites pushback. Sometimes we're actually picking fights with our words and then talking about our stubborn kids while we're picking fights with our words. I mean, I've even seen this, you know, just my, 
extensive experience in the school system. I mean, I've worked for Jenks now. This is my 18th year of working for Jenks in all sorts of different capacities. And, you know, just some of the teachers that have the most challenging behaviors in their class are the really rude teachers. And they're talking in a really smart, snarky manner. And they wonder why the children are um, not really wanting to work for them. Um, a lot of that is that feeling disrespected. So, okay, so bringing this around, why do we want to communicate effectively? Well, we want to be able to, number one, build connection. Every kind of conversation we have with our kids is not necessarily about problems. But the other reality is there are a lot of things to work through. Behavior things, friendship things, motivation things, character things. And some of them are problems that are created by our child's misbehavior. Some of them are problems and struggles that they're just going through. Now, successful families don't have no, they, they're not without problems. Successful and unsuccessful families both have problems. The big difference, regardless of how much money you have, regardless of how much education you have, regardless of how gorgeous or him you are, or what kind of car you drive, you know, all the trappings of success, regardless of that, the difference between successful and unsuccessful families are how they handle their problems. Successful families use problems and they learn from them. Unsuccessful families, we make our problems worse and we don't learn how to improve. And a lot of times it's because we're using the same tools over and over in our toolbox that actually aren't effective. It's like, this is going to work. Well, it hasn't worked. It's still not working and it's not going to, but that's the only thing we do because that's all we know to do. Um, so I want to give you some new ideas for how to do that. So I want you to think about this and you're even welcome to send it over in the chat section and I'll take a peek there. When you had a problem as a kid, what made it hard for you to go to your parents if you had a problem? Maybe you were the lucky one. Maybe you had parents that you actually really did feel comfortable or you had at least one parent that you felt comfortable that you could go to if you had a problem. But think about it. What made you avoid going to your parents if you had a problem? Here's the things I've heard over the years. Well, the reaction made it worse. They were super judgmental. I'd get lectured. I'd get in trouble if I went to them with a problem. Um, they acted like it was such a hassle. What? I've got so many other things to deal with or they weren't available. Um, and we learned over time to stop going to our parents if we had a problem. And typically, if you really think about it, it was probably about communication. The communication was so ineffective that it was just more frustrating to talk to them about the problem. What if we changed our thinking about problems? What if we started to think of problems as opportunities for learning and growth? as, oh my gosh, my child is still in my house. I'm so glad we're having this problem now and they're not experiencing it for the first time when they're in their 20s. All right, well, they're having a problem with telling the truth. Okay, good thing I know about it. Good thing I'm learning about it now. We've got some time to develop that. And let me tell you something about some of your children. Some of your children create tons of opportunities for growth. And you're like, could you just stop creating all these opportunities for growth? It's not fun. But here is a difference. It is so different when you look at things versus like a have to or a get to. Okay, yeah, I am not necessarily excited to have this problem right now. Wow, what a great opportunity for growth. What a great opportunity for life lesson. Sometimes surprisingly, some of the most difficult times my children have had in their lives, whether one that had a significant mental health struggles with anxiety and depression um, and suicidal ideation, um, he also you know, has given me permission to share that. Um, this was such a difficult time for our family. Our bond grew so close. Our ability to understand resources grew so close. This is a young man now who wants to become a pediatric psychiatrist because of what he went through. Wow, what an inspiration. I didn't see that when he was a sophomore in high school. It's a beautiful thing to see now. And where did we learn? Where did I learn about all these resources from struggle? And now I can go connect other people to those kinds of resources because of struggle. Struggle's not the enemy. Successful families learn to handle their problems and learn from them. Because really, where else are you going to learn problem-solving skills, communication skills, teamwork, creativity, responsibility, courage to do hard things? Where else are you going to learn that? Typically, not when everything's going okay. But here's where 
if we don't know how to communicate, then we lose that opportunity to become successful, you know? And so think about that. Think about what kind of environment do we have in our homes that allows people to make mistakes? I was listening because I'm a total nerd. I was listening to something on NPR. It was like years ago. And they were talking about, they had done all this research about successful and unsuccessful companies. Um, companies with great loyalty, great customer service, you know, low employee, low employee turnover, you know, those kinds of things. And really when they boiled down to it, one key factor that stood out is how does the company handle mistakes? Are mistakes like you are embarrassed and shamed and blamed for things? Or how does the company handle mistakes? And so this one company that had really, really high ratings and all the things you want to have high ratings on, they were some sort of um, tourism boutique. They ran a bunch of boutique hotels and things like that. And so they had a, an award that they gave every year for the employee who made the biggest mistake while actually trying to solve a problem. And you got an award for it. So if you have something like that, think about the creativity and the, well, I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to really think outside the box and try to figure out ways to solve problems just because I, I'm not going to be destroyed if I do that. So the one person in this particular year that won the award is there was a horrible mosquito problem at one of the hotels. And so they thought, okay, he thought, well, let's get rid of the mosquitoes while they're still larva. So how about in all of our beautiful water landscaping, let's add a bunch of fish, you know, a bunch of koi fish and goldfish and things like that so they can eat it while they're still larvae. Doesn't that sound like a wonderful, natural way to solve a problem? Well, you know who else really liked that? All the foxes and the raccoons that were out in the woods that now had an all-you-could-eat buffet in these beautiful man-made water things. And there were fish guts everywhere. And it was a total nightmare. And then they had, instead of a mosquito infestation, they had, you know, like raccoons and foxes and all the things. Um, and it completely backfired. Now, did that guy lose his job? Nope. Won the award. Was he actually legitimately trying to solve a problem? Absolutely. And it completely imploded. A lot of times our kids are actually trying to solve problems, but they're doing it in a way that is hurting them, hurting others, breaking family rules or values, but they're trying to solve problems. Um, so think about that. What kind of culture can we create in our homes that not to say, oh, yes, go out and make those mistakes. But what kind of culture can we create in our homes that if they do make a mistake, we can talk through, not to say that we're going to avoid consequences of some of those choices, but that effective communication actually helps it feel fair. So, you know, there's a lot of opportunities here on why we're doing this. And also how we talk to our children now, that becomes the voice in their head. Um, I still laugh. I, I have what I call authority trauma. <laughs> I was the chit, you know, the, the common theme in our house, oh, kids, who did this, you know, or wait till your father gets home, you know, those kinds of things that were said. And so if I have someone who is my boss or kind of over me in authority and they're like, Lauren, I need to talk to you. It's like, what did I do? So my principal at school, um, she left a post-it note on my door, Lauren, I need to talk to you. I swear to you, I mean, like my blood, like, what did I do? Oh my gosh, I'm losing my job. I mean, I didn't do anything, but like, I was just so used to that phrase, meaning, oh, you're going to get it. Um, so then I go down to her office. She's not there. So I'm like, oh my Lord, she wasn't like back in her office for like 45 minutes. So I finally see her. I'm like, um, yeah, what, what did you want to talk to me about? She goes, oh yeah, I needed you to do something, something for car duty and da, da, da. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you cannot do that to me. You cannot just leave a note. I have authority trauma. Um, and she just laughed. And so from then on, if she left me a note, it was like, Lauren, I need to talk to you. You're not in trouble, you know, but like, I'm a grown woman, a grown accomplished woman. And I feel like a seven-year-old sometimes because of that inner voice in my head. Now, again, did my parents love me? Absolutely, they love me. They were sacrificial in so many different ways. But this one piece really does make a big difference because um, it's kind of the foundation of everything. Now, with communication, you know, some of you might have taken, let me see how I'm doing. Uh, I can over communicate. So I want to make sure I'm staying on time. Um, yep, we're doing good. Um, with communication, there's a lot of different elements, it's not just our words. There's so many different things that go into this. There's tone of voice. There's all those nonverbal cues, body language, facial expressions, stuff like that. Just think about words. Yeah, words really do matter. Words truly can be hurtful. 
when we're calling names or like, oh, well, that was really stupid. What did you do that for? You know, those kind of words can be really hurtful. But I can say the same thing. Hey, mom, can I talk to you? Yes. Sure. What is it? Yes. What is it? I said the same words. My tone sent a completely different message. And depending on your child, some are much more sensitive to tone than others. Um, so be thoughtful of that. Is my body language communicating that, yeah, I want to talk with you? Um, here's one thing that gets in the way of that. These beautiful little communication devices. You know what makes connection difficult? Constantly being on these things, constantly being on our phones, constantly being distracted by electronics or the latest thing on Netflix or whatever. Sometimes we don't create the space for communication. One thing I've always admired about my little sister, who I learned so much from, um, sometimes I feel like the baby sister, but she has always been a very purposeful person. Um, sometimes I also wish I had her brain because she actually gets things done and like can plan things out and break things down into small parts. Um, so, you know, those are all great things that I admire. She also struggles with if I don't finish my to-do list, I feel like when I lose my mind where I'm like, to-do list, what's that? You know, so we all have our benefits and we all have our struggles. Um, but one thing that she was very purposeful and is very purposeful about is when she gets home, this thing gets plugged in on the kitchen counter and she's not even accessing it unless now that her children are older, someone is not at home. You know, then she has her watch that's connected to her phone and she will respond to that. She doesn't respond. She doesn't answer the phone unless it's really important. She creates space to be present. And I really admire that. She's a teacher. She could be answering emails at all hours of the day. Nope, I'm going to do things during these hours. And then this time is for the people in my life. She's very purposeful about that. And, you know, based on that, I've really tried to model some of that. Just lots of simple things, creating space for us to actually have the time to communicate. Now, I want you to think too, think about when you were a kid, what is something that your parents did that shut down communication without even saying a word? What was a body language thing maybe they did? Or in a positive light, what was a possible thing that your parents did that made it really easier to communicate? You know, was it like, they would sit down and they'd get on your level or, you know, sometimes if you knew you had a difficult conversation, you would go, uh, let's go get some ice cream. You know, one thing, my son, he actually created this communication um, thing. My youngest son, who's 21 now, not so young anymore. He always loved to have his head scratched. And then in high school, like in, um, it actually started with us forgetting to go get his hair cut. Oh, we'll get to, we'll get to it. And then his hair started to grow out and we're like, oh, it looks kind of cool. So he actually had way long hair, longer than mine, this glorious wavy mane. And he would come up to me when I was like, ready to go to bed. Mom, will you brush my hair? Inside, I'm like, oh my God, I just want to sit here. But guess what? When I brushed his hair, guess who talked? He would talk about his day. He would talk about this. I could ask things. We weren't even looking at each other face to face. He didn't want to look at me face to face, but him looking up, while I'm brushing his hair, sitting behind him, he would sit on the floor and I would sit on the couch. We had some of the best conversations that way. He's the one who to this day, typically once a week, sometimes more, he'll give me a call on his way home from work because he works out in the natural gas fields. And, you know, he's got a 45 minute to an hour drive sometimes back home based on where whatever gas um natural gas compression engine he's been working on for the day. And so he'll just call and he'll just chat. We're not looking at each other. We're not FaceTiming. We're just talking. And that has really worked for him. So every kid, you know, might have a way that makes it easier to talk to them. Figure that out. You know, one son loved to talk at bedtime if I would scratch his back. My other son, if I scratched his back, he'd get mad at me because he didn't like that. Um, but he liked me to sit with him um, next to him, next to his bed and talk to him. Or he liked talking on car rides or he played soccer. So we do a lot of talking on our way to and from soccer practice or soccer tournaments. And he really enjoyed that. Everybody's kind of different. Um, so figure out what worked for your kids. Here's a bold thing you could do too. Ask your kids or ask your partner, hey, is there something I do that makes it harder to communicate with me? A lot of times they don't know that. In our mind, it bothers us. And we make all sorts of conclusions about that. 
they might not know that. So my husband, I'm remarried and he is from Colombia. So he's from South America. He grew up on some pretty rough streets in Medellin, Colombia, when Pablo, Pablo Escobar, the big famous, if you've never heard of him, he's this big famous international um, and Colombian drug lord. I mean, ruthless. His stronghold was the neighborhood next door to where my husband grew up. So let's just say he had to have street smarts. He had to have an intensity about him that would keep him safe on the very dangerous streets of Colombia. And so, you know, I didn't have to have that growing up in Tulsa, you know, for the, the areas that I live in Tulsa. I didn't have to have that. You know, I led a, led a pretty sheltered experience. And so when we were married, when I'd be talking to him about something serious, he would do this. He would just stare intensely at me. And I'd be like, are you mad? Is something wrong? Are, are you okay? And he's like, I'm listening. He was really trying to concentrate and focus. But all those years of, you look at me, don't even mess with me. That also is what his face looked like. Did he mean for his face to look like that? No, that's just how his face looks. Um, because he had to have that intensity about him. What I didn't take that as was intense listening. I took it as intense, like kind of threatening, like I felt like it was the CIA. Now, was he intending to do that at all? Absolutely not. In his mind, I am being a great listener. <laughs> not how I took it. So. We, I had to be like, we had to communicate about that. Hey, nod your head a few times, you know, like something to soften it. And then I had to change my filter of, oh, he's actually not mad. Um, I had to learn him. Talks in a very loud voice. Guess what? That's Colombian. I used to think he was mad when the volume of his voice would go up. Nope, volume of his voice went up because he's Colombian. You know, so I had to, we had to learn each other's nuances and things like that in order to make our communication effective. Also. You know, he knows that if we're having an intense communication, if his voice level starts to go up because he's very passionate while he talks, hey, I'm going to just tone it down just a little bit. This is how I talk. I know, but it, it makes it harder for me to listen. You know, and so we balance, we've had to balance that out so that we are being effective communicators. So ask your kids, you know, ask your partner and don't get defensive if they tell you because, you know, at least you can give yourself a pat on the back while I was trying. Um, and okay, great. I'm glad to know that because I want to be an effective communicator. Now, here's the video that started all the transformation. This was a video in the active parenting curriculum, and it talks about communication blocks. It's kind of a comical video, but these are ways of talking that um, if we talk this way, it feels very parenty. This is kind of how we were taught to. You know, we we question, we interrogate, we we judge, we criticize, we placate. Oh, it's going to be OK. We distract, we moralize, we do all these things without realizing it, because isn't that what the parents are supposed to sound like? So when I first watched this video, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I do all of those. I was so proud of myself because I wasn't a yeller. I grew up in a house full of yellers. I didn't yell. I didn't raise my voice. So I was a good communicator. Nope. I did all these communication blocks. So let's watch this video. And so you can kind of have an idea about, um, see if you recognize yourself in any of these. All right, here we go. If we're going to win cooperation from our children by using our communication skills, then we must first learn to avoid saying and doing things that block communication. We all want to be askable parents, the kind of parents children come to when they're faced with a difficult problem. But too often, and without even meaning to, we respond to our children in ways that discourage them from asking. We call these obstacles communication blocks. For example, we have been known to issue commands to our children, judge them, placate them, interrogate them, distract, psychologize, or moralize to them. We may be sarcastic or act like a know-it-all. The result is that children learn over time to avoid talking to us about their problems. Let's take a tongue-in-cheek look at how Jordan's parents might use all of these blocks in one conversation. I don't believe it. You don't believe what? Miss Powell, I was sitting there minding my own business while Christian and Cody were passing notes back and forth. Then Miss Powell turns around and sees me passing this note to Christian, only it wasn't from me, it was from Cody. But Miss Powell thought it was from me and gave me extra homework because I apparently have too much time on my hands. It isn't fair. Well, son? 
What you need to do is march right up to Miss Powell and tell her what really happened. No, I can't do that. The kids will call me a tattletale. Well, Jordan, you can't go through life worrying what others will think about you. You don't understand. I have to spend every day with these kids. Oh, honey, you're so smart and so much fun. I don't think they'd stop liking you. You don't understand. They hate tattletales at my school. I won't have any friends. Well, why were you passing notes in the first place? Why would you put yourself in the middle that way? I was just trying to do them a favor. I tell you what I think. I think you like Kristen, and we're using the situation to flirt with her. Mama, don't even like girls. Not like that. Well, son, someday you will. Did I ever tell you about the first time me and your mama went out? Yeah, about a dozen times. Oh, don't be disrespectful to your father, young man. He was only trying to help. After all, we've lived longer, and we know more about these things. Okay, okay, whatever. Now that's the wrong attitude to take. How do you ever expect to improve yourself when you think like that? Oh, come on, that's not fair. Oh, and life's supposed to be so fair. <laughs> I am so glad he felt free to come to us with his little problem. Yeah, I don't know why he doesn't ask more often. <laughs> hmm, I love that one. All right, that one kind of rocked my world when I first saw it, I'll be honest. Um, I'm like, well, I kind of do all of those things. Um, and it made me like, oh, I didn't, I thought that's what parents were supposed to sound like. Now, obviously not to that exaggerated degree, but let's look at these communication blocks, commanding, you're going to do, do this and da, da, da. We're trying to short step the problem solving process. Now, actually, typically the advice that we give them would be good advice if they followed it, but they're not learning. As a matter of fact, they're just resenting us for bossing them around. Like, oh, you don't even, you don't think I knew that? Um, placating, trying to pretend that everything's okay when it's really not, minimizing their problem. Well, yeah, we know with our fully developed adult brains with lots of experience that we, um, that, uh, that it is going to be okay. Well, they don't know that right now. They're in the middle of experiencing it and learning and growing. Sarcasm. I used to joke around a lot and I thought that was like my cool way of connecting, but man, that would be such a disruptor for my youngest son. He, to this day now, is the most sarcastic of all of his brothers, but he couldn't, he couldn't handle that. He felt like I was making fun of him when I, I, that was not my intention, but guess what? That's how he received it. And so that was his truth. I, for him, could not joke around about stuff until he was ready for those kinds of things. Interrogating, like, what'd you do? What'd you do that for? Um, being a know-it-all. Um, here, here's a problem for me, and this is a real challenge. Did you know I'm a certified parent educator? Did you know I have developmental experience in education? Did you know I have my master's in counseling? Do you think my children give a rip about that? No, I've got great ideas. And actually, I could give you a 17-step plan doing it mindfully on how to solve this problem and everything really would be okay. That doesn't matter to them. And that actually doesn't help them being able to communicate this vast knowledge, but them figuring out things and then being open to your advice when they're ready for it at the right time in the conversation, that makes all the difference. But I would always be like, oh, well, you just need to in a really polite, cheerful way. And then my one son would be like, oh, great. Here comes one of mom's teachable moments. And, you know, just it, it's, it's interesting. But all of these things that we might do, here's what I want to remind you of. You are doing this in love. You are actively trying to communicate with your kids. You are the, doing the best that you know how to do with the tools in your toolbox. And let me tell you, this was modeled for us. This is still modeled for us. This is the normal, I feel, in how parents communicate with their kids. But the frustrating piece is, because there's not an awareness that this is a communication block, then when a conversation goes, Ari, 
what goes wrong, there's a disconnect, they're not listening, we blame it on the kid. Ah, they're so stubborn. Well, if I've got a grown up commanding and interrogating me and telling me what I need to do and how I need to do it, I'm not being stubborn. I'm like, just hold on a minute. You know, it's just, it's different. So it does require us. Now, it doesn't mean that our kids aren't going to be stubborn anyway, even when we use all the correct uh, communication stuff. We're going to have some difficult seasons in parenting. It doesn't mean learning's not happening though. So, but it's just really frustrating learning. Um, so I want to give you that pass that, hey, this is a start. You are doing the best you know with the tools in your toolbox. And this is habitual. This is normal. So, you know, now you'll have some awareness, but you're still going to catch yourself in all sorts of conversations, just immediately doing these kinds of things because it's what we know how to do. A good rule of thumb I heard is that for every year you've been doing something, it might take a month to start doing things differently. So my oldest, I believe, was 10-ish. 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock, 10 years old. Um, I think when I, when I first started teaching the active parenting curriculum, so he had had 10 years of his life of his mom being very polite and not yelling, but also doing all these things. Um, so when I started to try to communicate in a different way, it, it, it wasn't super easy for me. And then he wasn't totally used to it either. So we just assumed it was going to be the way it always was, which was still better than maybe a lot of parents, I guess, but it still wasn't effective. So it just takes some time. So number one, catch yourself. And you're going to catch yourself because you're, you're human. You're not perfect. Um, and neither are our children. So, but if you're communicating this way, here's what it's doing. It's discouraging your kids. It hurts them. It demoralizes them. It removes courage. Why try? I'm just going to get made fun of when I do it. It lowers self-esteem. It, it doesn't motivate them. It disheartens them. And this is a big one. It triggers big time resentment. Like, ah, oh, they don't get me. And we want to get them, but we don't know how to communicate past. And then we'll say things like, ah, oh, teenagers today. Teenagers today actually really can communicate. We just all don't know how. Um, so, you know, there is another way. So there's also this thing called fighting words versus thinking words. Because sometimes beyond a communication block, it can even be, um, let me pull this up, this other, oh, here, hold on. Let me exit out of this and kind of work. Um, let me do my screen. Let me see. Here it is. There's this thing, and this will be a handout that's sent to you. Sometimes just our tone and everything will say things in a way that don't invite participation, like fighting words versus thinking words. Um, you know, like love and logic, right? You know, fighting words. No, you can't play outside until you practice your lessons. Okay. Is it reasonable for them to need to practice their lessons before playing? Absolutely. When I say it that way, I just potentially picked a fight with my words versus yes. You can play outside as soon as you practice your lessons. We're saying the same expectation, but we're saying it in a different way. No, you can't watch television until your chores are done. Yes, you can watch television as soon as your chores are done. Now, some things we do have to flat out say no, but a lot of times it's the how we say it that really takes away from the effectiveness of what we're trying to say. Okay, so great, Lauren. I recognize myself in all those communication blocks. I am just going to have to close my mouth at all times. Nope, there is a different way. So this idea of active communication, some, some things call it active listening. You know, I know there's a thing called the speaker listener technique. That's a couple communication things. So there's lots of different kind of versions of this, but this active communication has some steps. Guess what? Some learnable steps. These are skills. So I'm going to tell you the steps, then you're going to see the steps. Same conversation that that little boy just had with his parents, but now using the active communication model. So first step, we're just going to listen actively, like my body language. I'm going to be available, present, you know, right there with them. Listen for feelings. As they're talking about the thing they're frustrated about, connect to the feelings behind their words. Oh, that seems frustrating. Yeah, that would be irritating. You seem really angry about this. Just validate their feelings. Look for alternatives and evaluate consequences. There'll be a shift in the conversation to, oh, okay, well, that seems pretty frustrating. Well, what do you think you could do about it? I don't know. Or, well, I'm just going to go punch him. Okay, that's an option. What would happen if you punched him? What else could you do? What would happen if you do that? Do you remember that picture of the brain? That this part of the brain that considers consequences is still under construction, that prefrontal cortex? When we do stuff like this, what do you think you could do? What would happen if you do that? 
we're literally training that part of the brain to think about consequences. Kids' brains don't naturally think about that. Then we can offer encouragement and follow up, be checking back in. How are things going? Um, and so it's a beautiful thing. And here's what it's also doing. It's building empathy. I'm connecting with them on a feelings level. That power of understanding and sharing the feels of feelings of another. That's another thing that they're learning to do. That's another thing that this part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, is good at doing. Um, so if I can connect to their feelings and validate and reflect their feelings, it's helping them sometimes even understand their own feelings because they just they feel the energy, but they don't necessarily have a word for it. But it's also modeling for them how to show empathy to others. And the other really cool thing, because our brain is really cool, when we have a connecting conversation that makes us feel safe, it releases the chemical oxytocin in the brain. That's the, the chemical in our brain that increases feelings of trust, safety, bonding, love. When a mother gives birth to a child, her whole body is washed with oxytocin and it makes us chemically inclined to be in love with this little child that's going to poop and scream and eat and, you know, keep us up at all hours of the night but we're in love with them, you know, because our body is washed with oxytocin. When you have a good bonding conversation, your children feel like they feel heard and you connect, it builds your bond. That is the thing that kept me connected with my kids through their teenage years. That because of all these years of learning to talk in a different way, there was a strong foundation of that. The conversations were harder and a little bit more strained um, based on lots of different normal, typical things of development, but that bond was still there and that skill set was still there. So that really helped us through that. And, you know, while you're identifying and responding to feelings, um, you know, think about what are they saying? What might they be feeling if they aren't saying, because kids aren't going to come out and say, mother, I'm feeling angry today and frustrated because I'm really lacking myself, uh, doubting myself worth when I compare myself to my peers who are walking around in new Nike shoes. <laughs> they're, they're not going to say that. But, you know, we can help them identify some of those feelings. Oh, you see, might be feeling a little jealous right now, a little disappointed that you didn't get the thing that you wanted. When I'm connecting and validating their feelings, I'm not agreeing with them. I'm just validating their feelings. Um, sometimes we'll miss it and we're like, oh, you seem really frustrated. I'm not frustrated. I'm, you know, mad. You know, it could, sometimes it's just a different, a different little thing. So. So now, great, Lauren, what can I do? So we're going to watch our next two videos that show um, active listening. So it's going to take those steps that were listed, connect, you know, listen actively, connect to feelings, consider consequence, you know, problem solving, consider consequences, encourage and follow up later. So you can see what that same conversation might look like with active communication. We've seen how communication blocks can build a wall between us and our children and how discouraging that can be. Now let's see how we can use active parenting skills to build a bridge instead. I'm talking about the five-step process called active communication. Not only can it help us teach our children the value of cooperation and effective problem solving, it also keeps us in position to influence their thinking about the choices they will face as they get older. Important choices about school and career and life and death choices about drugs, sex, criminal behavior, and other risks. Without that bridge of communication, parents are left standing by the shore while other influences drag their children and teens into the water. As a wise counselor once said, it's time we stopped fishing our children out of the river and go upstream and repair the bridge. Let's watch as Nicole uses active communication to help her son Jordan work through a problem. She'll be using five steps. Step one, listen actively. Nicole will give Jordan her full attention, acknowledge what he is saying, and show empathy, that is, show that she not only understands, but actually feels what Jordan is feeling. Step 2. Identify and respond to feelings. By putting herself in her son's shoes, Nicole will try to tell what he is feeling. Then she'll acknowledge that feeling to him. This helps to establish trust and a spirit of cooperation between them. Once this connection is made, and not before, Nicole can go to the problem-solving step. That would be step three. Look for alternatives and evaluate consequences. Here, Nicole will ask Jordan what he might do about the problem. She'll guide him to come up with alternative solutions and help him to predict how each might work out. 
The parent's role here is not to fix the problem, but to provide support and guidance as the child works through it and finds a solution. Remember that in children, the part of the brain that weighs risks against consequences is not completely developed yet. This step helps them slow down and consider the consequences of their choices before they jump into action. Step four of the active communication process is to offer encouragement. Nicole would do this by building on Jordan's strengths and showing confidence in his abilities. And finally, for step five of the active communication process, Nicole will follow up later by remembering to ask Jordan how it went. Let's watch. I don't believe it. You don't believe what? Miss Powell, I was sitting there minding my own business while Kristen and Cody were passing notes back and forth. Then Miss Powell turns around and sees me passing this note to Kristen, only it wasn't from me, it was from Cody. But Miss Powell thought it was from me and gave me extra homework because I apparently have too much time on my hands. It isn't fair. You sure sound angry. What did you be? I mean, it wasn't even my note. And yet you're the one being punished. I could see why you'd be so upset. Yep, and Kristen and Cody just sat there and giggled. You must have been furious about that. They started and then let me take all the blame. And of course all Miss Powell saw was you passing the note. Yep. And then it must have been embarrassing too, her disciplining you in front of the whole class. Yeah, but the whole class saw what was going on, so it wasn't that bad. But I have all this extra homework to do. Still, it must be frustrating being punished for a note that wasn't yours. And some of you are like, oh my gosh, the conversations are going to take forever. <laughs> okay. You don't have to summarize and reflect on your child's feelings to that degree. Sometimes just as simple that you seem frustrated. That would, that might, that would make me angry. You know, things like that can make a difference, but I want to point a couple things out. Think about how Jordan's feeling right now. He's feeling pretty validated. He's feeling listened to, but this is a key point. At no point at any time in this conversation so far, his mom agreed that Jordan passing notes was the right thing to do. This is what makes it hard for a lot of parents to connect to their kids' feelings because they're like, well, if I validate their feelings about this stupid thing that they did, then, you know, they're going to think it's okay to do that thing. Nope. She has not agreed with him at all that what he is doing was the right thing to do. Empathy is she's just taking the time to see where he's coming from. When he feels validated, when he feels like she is actively listening to him, that makes that builds that trust and makes him open to any suggestions that the parent might have. So remember, me connecting to my child's feelings and validating those feelings is not agreeing with or encouraging them to misbehave. It's just simply connecting to their feelings. So let's watch part two of the conversation. It's not fair. I'm not even going to do the extra homework. Well, that's one thing you could do. Now, what would happen if you don't do it? Well, Miss Powell would give me an F to average in with my grades. Ouch. That could really hurt, especially with all the hard work you put in this year. What else could you do? I could tell her what really happened. Yes, you could. And what would happen then? Well, all the kids would call me a tattletale, and Miss Powell would just say I had no business passing notes in the first place, and I should have ignored them. What do you think about that? I guess it was pretty dumb. I mean, I guess I knew that she didn't allow passing notes and all, but Mom, I didn't want the other kids to think I wasn't cool. I see. So you were afraid the other kids wouldn't like you if you followed Miss Powell's rules about not passing notes in class. So you let them get you in trouble because you wanted them to like you. Yeah, pretty dumb, right? Well, let's put it like this. It's only dumb if you keep doing it. And you look like a pretty bright kid. I think you've thought a lot about this and I think it's something you can learn from. Yeah, okay. Jordan, how did that passing notes problem turn out? Did you do the extra homework? Yeah, I didn't think an F would be too great. And what about Kristen and Cody? Are they still asking you to pass notes in class? No way. I told them I didn't like what they did, and next time I'm just going to ignore them. All right. I like the way you stood up for yourself. You know, it's smart not to let people take advantage of you. Now, of course, I cannot, and, and I'm not legally bound to promise conversations is going to go perfectly. Guys, can you imagine what your life would have been like if you were talked to this way? And maybe you were talked to this way. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty powerful stuff. Um, what I love is, did you notice that mom, at the end of the conversation, she was actually able to do a little nugget, a little aha, uh -huh, 
uh, oh, so you were more worried about what they were thinking. So you passed notes, even though you knew it was against the rules. She, now, what if she had started off like that? You need to not worry about what people are thinking. You don't have to fall. What if you, someone told you to jump off the bridge, would you jump? You know, like, we'll do stuff like that thinking, see, I'm giving them nuggets. Nope. It's bouncing, bing, bounces right off of them because they're like, oh my gosh, you know, even if what we're saying is great, when we say it in the conversation makes all the difference. So establish that empathy first. And then did you notice how she, with her effective communication, kind of guided Jordan to solve his own problem? Well, what could you do? What would happen if you did that? What else could you do? What might happen if you did that? Now, sometimes in a conversation, we might say, well, what do you think you could do? And they're like, I don't know. I don't know. There's a few things you can say. One thing you can say is, well, what would you do if you did know? I know it sounds absolutely crazy. I cannot tell you how many times I've asked that question of my own children or of children at school. And then they're like, well, I guess I would. It's like just kind of a repeat. Another question you can ask is, what would you tell a friend to do in this situation? Sometimes just that separation of if it's a friend, then the problem is the friend's problem. So it's not so personal. And maybe I can open my mind up a little bit on what I tell a friend to do in the situation. And you can still use it. What would you tell a friend to do? Well, what would happen if they did that? You know, it's the same kind of thing, but it kind of depersonalizes it and makes it maybe not so threatening. But sometimes they don't know what to do. So you can say things like, I have an idea. Would you like to hear it? I've already established empathy. A good portion of the time they're going to say, yeah. And then I cannot say, here's what you need to do. I could say, I always start off with, I wonder. Well, I wonder if you did this, what would happen? I wonder, I wonder. Um, and that could be a potential tool that you use. Um, now, sometimes you'll say, well, I have an idea. Would you like to hear it? No, I'm good. Guess what, guys? So it's their problem. You know, if they want to struggle a little bit longer, they're still learning going on in that struggle. Now, of course, there are situations where it truly is a discipline issue and we are going to have to correct behavior and there's going to be some consequences. You can still use this communication model. You know, so what happened? What did you do? What happened when you did that? Was there anything else you could have done? What might have happened if you did that? You know, there's all different ways that we can use this active communication. But that for me, I kind of created a rule for myself when I was first using this. Try to connect to at least three feelings before I move on into problem solving mode. It does take more time, but it's more effective. So I'd rather have a slightly longer conversation one time than 20 of the same conversation when we're all frustrated. Now, again, it takes some time to develop this skill. First, you got to catch yourself from using communication blocks. I would restart conversations all the time. I'm so sorry. Here I am, you know, acting like a know-it-all. Okay, so you were saying this happened. Man, that must have been frustrating. I'd almost kind of lead them into Sometimes the conversation would just tank. And then the next day, you know, when we were talking yesterday, I kind of, uh, kind of, you know, like really was acting like it was all my business. And then I knew everything. I'm so sorry. That wasn't the greatest communication. So let's start that conversation over, you know, and, and sometimes things like that could help, but you're learning and growing too. So what I can say now is the pattern of my communication uses active communication. Do I do it perfectly every time? Nope, not at all. But that's, it's the pattern over time that really makes that difference. And one thing I can say is my kids say that I'm easier to talk to. Um, probably one of my favorite comments is, you know, my husband, he's learned and grown in this area. Because let me tell you, Colombian parents do not talk this way. It is like, da, 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 da. Um, and so my daughter is very, she has great, strong opinions. She really knows what she thinks. And um, she got so frustrated with her dad one night because he was, you know, kind of telling her what to do. Yes, she needed to be told what to do, but kind of how he did it. She didn't, she didn't like his tone. And then she marched in there a little bit later and she's like, Papa, you talk to me like you're the king of the world. I want you to talk to me like mama talks to me. And then she stormed off. You know, I think she was like four years old at the time. This girl is articulate. She was born to rule something. I don't know what it is, but we're, we're shaping and guiding that. And it's a beautiful thing most of the time, but like, even as a young age, like she would get mad about that, even though she needed to be corrected, but she couldn't receive the correction because of the tone. So be thinking about those kinds of things because you don't lose authority 
by being polite, having effective communication skills. If anything, you can parent out of the strength of your relationship with them, um, that they really don't care what you think until they think that you care. I mean, that's just human nature. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271 5072.